are so glad that you're here. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City, and I see a lot of new faces. Thank you for visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here. I discovered sometime in 2017 that Easter 2018 was also going to be April Fool's Day. And I've been, since I'm kind of a church calendar nerd, preparing for this opportunity for a while. But as I was preparing, it felt like the Holy Spirit said, I should not pull a prank on all of you. So don't look under your chair. There's not $100 under someone's chair. There could be. I mean, I didn't put it there if there is. But I also realized I shouldn't pull any pranks on my, you know, co-pastors and my staff. So I didn't tell anybody that, oh, aren't you preaching on Easter like this morning? And they thought they forgot or something like that. And I'm definitely not going to tell you all that I'm going to preach for 10, 15 minutes and then preach for an hour and a half and you all miss lunch. April fools. See, it's not funny at all. Instead, I thought, what if I brought some ideas for you all for April fools? I think we're calling it like Easter fools. Okay, so these actually don't require much explanation. They're just, they're just pictures, okay? So let's put the first one up here. You see that? That'll get them. They won't know what, what's coming for them. How about something else, like maybe this next one up here? Something a little healthier? Some parents are like, yes, please, trade them all for carrots now. Okay. I mean, this is, once again, health. You see a theme going here? It's a little bit of a theme we have. I like this next one a lot, partly because I really don't like peeps. Who are the peeps fans? What is with you? I don't get it. All right. And then finally, this one, now this is try at your own risk. All right, so just be careful because that last one could end up being a practical joke on you and your own fingers. Some people know this has happened to them in the past. All right, so you can do this. I believe in you. There are some unsuspecting people, children that aren't in this room right now who will have no idea. I, uh, it wasn't actually the Holy Spirit that convicted me not to pull a prank on you. It was the sheer terror that some of you might pull a prank on me if I were to do that to you. And I actually hate being pranked. So let that be a warning to you. We're actually going to move on from talking about April Fool's, Easter Fool's pranks. I'm not kidding. See what I did there? See, this is why it doesn't work. All right. Let's pray, and we're going to move on together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to be here worshiping at Sheridan School God, it's a gift from you that you've given us this space, that you have built this relationship between us and Sheridan School. And God, we ask that you would bless them in Jesus' name because of their uh, hospitality to us and increase the ability for us to serve them and love them well in your name, Jesus. I pray for every person who's here this morning that you would allow us to hear from you, that there would be things that you want to say to each person here today whom you love. Because you are alive and you are moving in our lives and you want to speak to us. So I pray, God, that you wouldn't let me get in the way of what you want to say to these sons and daughters of yours. We love you and we celebrate you today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So since there are some of you visiting here with us this Sunday, we're really glad that you're here. But I want to let you know we've been having a conversation throughout this whole season of Lent the Sunday is leading up to Easter Sunday, where we are at today, Easter Sunday. And we've been talking about a pretty deep subject of the question, what did Jesus accomplish through the cross? The theological term for this is the atonement. The atonement. It's a deep and thick concept that's pervasively found throughout all of the Bible. The Bible primarily talks about the, this concept of what Jesus accomplished through the cross through imagery, 
through pictures, through metaphor, through analogy. And that's not something that should be surprising to us because as humans, whenever we're trying to, to describe something that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around fully, we often use metaphor and analogy, don't we? And the atonement, what Jesus accomplished through the cross, for sure fits the category of things that are hard to fully wrap our minds around, things that are f- hard for us to fully comprehend. In fact, I want to suggest today that there is not one person here who with their finite human brain, can grasp all that Jesus has accomplished. Some of you know very little about Jesus. Some of you have been learning about Jesus your entire life. But no matter where you're at today, I want to suggest what Jesus has done is so huge that it will take the rest of your life to pursue its breadth and depth and meaning in your life. So in that way, every Easter is kind of an opportunity for every one of us to go a little bit deeper or maybe a lot deeper in our understanding of what Jesus has done, and then to respond. To respond to a God who's accomplished so much out of love for you and for me and for the whole world. All these pictures of what Jesus has accomplished through the atonement on the cross, uh, the pictures throughout scripture, it would take like a week if we were to go through all of those different pictures here today. So we won't because remember I'm not doing the April Fool's prank thing. In all the sermons that we covered leading up to this one throughout Lent, we didn't even cover all the categories of images found to describe what Jesus has done. We talked about reconciliation and relationship images, about how Jesus removed the barriers between us and God. We talked about substitution and sacrifice imagery and how Jesus conquered death and took our place and took our sin and our brokenness and the brokenness of the whole world to the cross with him and offered forgiveness. We talked about legal imagery. While guilty, we were declared righteous, rightness. We got the rightness from Jesus. We talked about servant imagery, images of Jesus' example as a suffering servant leader on the cross, and victory images, Jesus as king coming in, conquering evil through the cross. We often hear this talked about as Christus Victor. Some of you might be familiar But you guys, we didn't even get to the liberation images, the exchanging of loyalty images, the transformation and metamorphosis images, the economic images, the healing images. You see where I'm going with this? All of these pictures are given to us in the Bible to help us understand all that Jesus accomplished by becoming a human, living a life, dying on the cross but coming back, resurrected to conquer death. None of these images alone give us the full picture of what Jesus has done. We need them all. We all have a different story here today. But when I was a young girl, probably six or seven years old, I gave my life to Jesus, and I had such a limited understanding of what Jesus had done for me. I mean, I didn't have any idea the breadth of God's story in Scripture. I didn't know what the Bible told us about all that the cross had accomplished. I could barely read. I had like a felt board understanding of Jesus. Remember those? You remember that. That's where I was at. But here's the thing. Now here, I'm a 35-year-old pastor with multiple theological degrees and counting, and I still have no ability to fully wrap my mind around the power of the cross. Any more than when I was a little girl. And we have a hard time wrapping our minds around this, I think, at times. And whenever it's difficult for us to truly comprehend something and wrap our minds around something, it can be easy to kind of get overwhelmed by that reality, can't it? 
We may feel like we must understand it all if we're going to believe it all. And I've felt that way in my life. Perhaps you feel that way now or you have in your life as well. And it's nothing new. Today I want to look at a passage from a letter written to one of the first Christian churches, the church in Corinth. They, like us, I think struggled with what it meant to wrap your mind around something so huge that you couldn't fully understand and to believe it. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25 if you have a Bible. A man named Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth. Paul was an early leader in the church, and I think he was trying to encourage these people. He was trying to encourage them because they were up against a lot. Some of these people in this one of these first churches, the church in Corinth, they were going through so much. Some of them were oppressed because of their ethnic background, and now their willingness to follow Jesus has gotten them into even more trouble with the people in power. And so Paul wants to encourage them. They had seen this man right before their eyes die, and then right before their eyes come back to life. And they had chosen to give their life to this man because they couldn't erase that experience of what Jesus had done for them. So Paul was writing to encourage them, and this is what he said. We'll have it up on the screen for you to follow along. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I don't know about you, maybe that doesn't sound encouraging to you today. Maybe it does. But we need to understand something that was a part of the culture in Corinth that I actually think is pretty similar to our cultural experience here in our cities today. In Corinth, uh, the term wisdom, he's using this term wisdom here, and he says human wisdom. He's giving a very specific type of wisdom. This was a culture in Corinth that deeply valued intelligence, very much valued knowledge and held education to high esteem. Kind of sounds familiar, right? A culture that highly valued people who knew a lot, but not just the people who knew a lot, but the people who were able to express that knowledge in a polished way. So the great orators and speech givers were highly praised in the part of Corinth that that Paul is writing to. Of course, there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of knowledge and intelligence. There's nothing wrong with people who can speak about it. But what Paul is calling out here is the worship of those who possess that knowledge. Paul's calling out the the idol being made of what can only be fully understood by human brains. The idea that only the only thing worth having faith in is what can be completely understood, therefore not requiring that much faith in the first place. So this was the human wisdom of the day. And in many ways, I think this is the human wisdom of our day, don't you think? Paul says, for it is written. Did you catch that? 
And then he states two phrases. They come from the prophetic book of Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And I want to tell you what the prophet's saying. Pay close attention. Isaiah 29 is where uh, Paul is referencing. Verse 13 and 14, it's verse 14 that he's quoting. Let me read this to you, what Isaiah the prophet said 100 years before. The Lord says, so he's speaking on behalf of God, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. You hear that? The great orators. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Did you catch those last two lines? That's what Paul was quoting. And as he quoted that, guess what? Everyone listening to that letter being read to them would have immediately thought of Isaiah. That would have made sense to them, and they would have thought of what Paul was talking about here, and they would have said, what was the prophet Isaiah saying in that time? God was speaking through him and saying, talk is cheap. God doesn't want your perfectly intelligent mind. God wants your heart. God's action, Isaiah says, God's action is going to shock the wise talkers into silence. Wonder upon wonder will astound them, it says. Things they won't be able to fully wrap their minds around will happen, right? Because that is what wonder is, something you can't fully understand. And as these things that they can't fully understand happen, they will have to choose. Will they worship a God that they can fully understand or choose to follow a God whose actions defy logic? Foolishness to those who hear it. And God did just that. God astounded everyone and saved the world in the most unlikely way. Unlike any other God who'd ever been spoken of in the past had ever been even considered to have done. Unlike any leader who's ever been followed. This is what Jesus had done. Think about it. The cross as a way for a God to accomplish so much did really seem like foolishness. And it kind of does to us today if you think about it. Foolishness compared to human wisdom at least. I would go so far as to say that, that God's wisdom through what Jesus did on the cross is subversive to human wisdom. Turns it upside down. Think about it. Leaders should save the world through might and triumph, not suffering and death. A king should wow everyone with his armies and his riches, not hanging alone on a cross deserted by even his closest friends with a crown of thorns, some coronation. Wisdom, what does that look like? That looks like well-thought-out, pervasive speeches given by great orators, not a dying man begging that God would forgive the people who are murdering him, turning to a guilty man next to him and forgiving him. Foolishness. A savior or a messiah should be followed by the influential and the powerful, not abandoned by all but his own mother and a couple of terrified teenage disciples. Refusing to call on angels even though he could. It's foolishness. Leaders who have conquered should be led into the city with horses and trumpets. That's what everyone then knew. Not declared alive, having conquered death by two women who were considered to have no authority. Who everyone saw as hysterical rather than credible in that moment. 
What Jesus accomplished through the cross is good news. That's why we call it gospel. That's simply what gospel means. It means good news. But listen, you can memorize all of those images that I listed earlier. You can have a deep amount of knowledge in your brain that you store up from learning. But the gospel is not a nicely packaged philosophy, you guys. It's not uh, something that has a slick logo and an interactive website or like a snarky Twitter handle. This is not what the gospel is. The gospel is not some sort of self-help scheme to help you live your best life. Instead, the gospel is the good news that God intervened into our messy world in the most subversive way to bring a kingdom that looks totally upside down compared to all the little kingdoms of this world. It defies common sense for an all-powerful God to enter into a weak human body to save the world God loves through giving up his life. Foolishness. And if you're willing to trust that this is good news and it is good news for you, then it's not merely a set of belief statements. It changes how you perceive the whole world. It changes how you engage in everything. It changes everything about how you live and you move and you exist. What Jesus accomplished on the cross for us invites a response that is life-changing for us. The cross can seem like foolishness to many, but here Paul says it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God for those who are willing to accept it. Willing to accept it even in the midst of our inability to wrap our minds around the wonder of it all. The power of God and the wisdom of God. Perhaps some of you have noticed these beautiful stained glass windows here on the stage. There's a story I can tell you sometime about how I came upon them, and I promise it was not an attempt to be able to, like, hashtag hipster, hashtag throwback on Instagram or something. We had them up for our Lenten season, and there was actually some deep meaning about what they represent to us. I would hope that they would represent where we come from as Jesus followers. They connect us to all of those who've come behind us and all of those who'll come after us. It connects us to the many, many people all around the world who are celebrating Easter today, our brothers and sisters. I had also hoped that they'd remind us that even though we're here in this public school, God is with us. God's presence is what makes a space sacred, not windows or worship teams or sermons, but God being with us. The man that I bought them from told me that, uh, he, said, he, well, he said he'd sell them to me for about a few hundred bucks total. And he told me that he got them from an 1800s church in Maine, and somehow through his travels, they made their way here to Minnesota. And I love thinking about how the same God that was present, you know, 150 years ago in that little church, probably a one-room church out east, that same God that was present with those people is present with us here today. I just love thinking about that. And the man told me that he had them appraised. And the, the antique dealers and the appraisers told him that they were probably worth thousands of dollars each. So you can imagine, I said, why are you going to sell them to me for just a few hundred dollars? And he said, well, first of all, it's important to me where they go because I really have cared for them and loved them. And secondly, the appraisers told him that they would have a hard time finding an antique buyer who would pay for them because they have crosses on them. He said, the cross is just not very marketable these days. And I told him, 
I said, these are perfect for us. A group of Jesus followers who exist in neighborhoods and workplaces and sometimes families where the cross is not marketable. This group of imperfect people that we call Mill City Church who have to battle our minds constantly because we struggle to live into the wonder and the mystery of a God that we can't fully comprehend. A God who would let an unmarketable object of torture be the way that he'd save the world. It's foolishness to display that object with beautiful colors surrounding it. It doesn't make sense for us to to wear that object around our neck or to put it up on our walls unless, unless you have determined that you want to trust in the one who brought salvation in such an upside down way. And if so, the power of the cross invites us to give it a place of honor, representing and being a symbol of God's reckless love. When I think about all these beautiful images given to us in the Bible to help us understand what Jesus did to accomplish all this on the cross, I try to imagine that I'm a painter. I'm really not a painter. Is anybody here a painter? I know there are some. You're being shy. So I had to borrow some paintbrushes from my friend Marco. Some of you might know Marco. He's a, he's a painter. And he is somebody who uh, is an artist in lots of ways, but he also owns Mojo Coffee Gallery, a coffee shop here in Northeast that has more art on the walls than any coffee shop you could ever find. Trust me, you'll never find another. So these paintbrushes are Marco's paintbrushes. And I want you to imagine that you yourself are a painter. And you have this wonderful selection of brushes here to paint your masterpiece. And as you're thinking about painting your masterpiece, you select the correct brush. This is what I understand. Tell me if I'm right, Krista. You select the correct brush in order to paint the right type of texture and lines and stroke and depth. And if you want to make sure that the lines communicate light and shading, you would pick different brushes in order to paint this beautiful painting on a canvas. So it is with the pictures that we are given about the power of the cross. You may want to pick up the victory paintbrush and paint this beautiful Christus Victor part of the painting. You may pick up the paintbrush that's the reconciliation and the relationship brush in order to paint the the barrier that has been removed between us and God because of what Jesus has done. You may want to take the liberation brush because Jesus came to set the oppressed free. You may want to take the transformation brush because we are completely changed and paint that beautiful aspect of the picture. Do you see how all of these different pictures come together to give us a deeper understanding of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross? Do you see how when they all come together, it, it expands our breadth of understanding of what Jesus has done? But at the end, even with all of these beautiful tools, you still have a painting. Just a painting, a two-dimensional picture of what Jesus has done. Jesus' work is so powerful that there's not enough pictures in the world to encompass it all. I want to invite you to listen to these images from Scripture. And let me encourage you this morning. Let them sink from your head to your heart. 
I know that's challenging for some of us, but let these pictures sink from your head to your heart, and I'm going to express what we find in Scripture, just some of it, honestly. Listen to this. Liberation images. Jesus sets us free from sin and death. Jesus forgave our sins. Jesus saved us from destruction. Jesus gave freedom to the oppressed. Jesus gave his own life as a ransom to set us free. Sacrifice images. Jesus is the lamb who takes away sins. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for all time. We were stained by sin, but now we're cleansed by Jesus' blood. Legal images. While guilty, we were declared righteous. Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. We have been redeemed. We have been rescued. Healing images. Jesus healed the disease of sin and brokenness. We were blind, but now we see. Jesus brought true shalom and peace from God. Relational images. We were at war with God, but now we're at peace. We were slaves, but now we are friends. We now have access to the mighty God. We were separated from God, but now we are reconciled. We were orphans, but now we're God's children. Transformation images. We have been born again. We are new creatures. We have died to our old selves, and we are new people. We were lost, but now we're found. We were in the dark, but now we're in the light. We were insecure, but now we're secure. Economic images, we were poor, but now we're rich. Our debts are canceled. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. Change of loyalty images, we've been set apart as God's chosen people. We were no people, but now we're God's people. We serve Jesus as our one king and leader. Our citizenship has changed from the little kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God. Victory images, Jesus defeated the devil, the principalities and powers, we share in Jesus' victory and his resurrection. We have eternal life. We have eternal rest and peace. We have the promise of living as a new creation in the presence of God now and forever and ever. Amen. All of this is the power of the cross. Kind of makes sense that some people might say all of that in a single action, foolishness. But when I speak this out, it takes me right back to being a little girl trying to wrap my head around what Jesus has done. And I tried so much as just a little one, but I couldn't quite comprehend what it truly means. And so it is for me today. With all the brain power I have, I still can't fully comprehend what I would suggest is the most amazing thing that's ever happened in human history. That God became one of us and accomplished so much through his death and resurrection. And I'm convinced that if I had all the human wisdom of the world, I would still not fully understand. And so that's why I'm so grateful for this last verse here in the, the 20, verse 25 in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The power of the cross is vast. What has been accomplished is so immense. There are so many brushstrokes, so many images trying to come together to give us a glimpse of what this remarkable event means. But at the end of the day, there is only one decision. Will we accept that this amazing thing was done for us? For you, for me, for this world that God loves. So many beautiful images this Easter, but there is only one decision. Will you give your life to the one who gave his life for you? Not because we can fully understand the atonement, because we can't. Not because we could earn salvation, because we can't. But just because 
It was accomplished by Jesus out of his reckless love for us. There's going to be a few ways that you can respond this morning, which I think is what Jesus is inviting us to do every Easter, to respond. We're going to wait to take communion together uh, in just a minute. First, we're going to sing a song. And this is a song we've been singing here at Mill City, but welcome to those of you who are hearing it for the first time. It's one that invites us to acknowledge all that Jesus has done and to respond by saying, so will I. It's a declaration of saying, I'm in. I will join in God's redemption mission made possible through the cross. So feel free to stay seated and just to, to reflect on the words as long as you want to. But when you're ready and you want to stand up and, and join in and say, me too, so will I, feel free to do that whenever you're ready. It's a declaration of what we, that we desire to join in God's mission of love and redemption to a world that he died to save. So join in when you're ready. <laughs> 